Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, August 19th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior writer and weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad. So we're going to have you on uh, to talk a little bit about the new Eternals trailer, and then I'm going to be joined by Jacob to talk about some James Bond stuff later in the episode. But let's get into Eternals. So Marvel released a new trailer absurdly early this morning uh, for uh, for Eternals, which I think is going to be the final trailer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So just broadly speaking, what did you think about this Eternals trailer? Um, it's definitely a, a more revealing trailer than the initial uh, trailer we re- received uh, not too long ago. Provides some some plot details, gives us an idea of uh, who the Eternals are. But uh, this really does feel like a um, a very different kind of uh, Marvel movie. You know, it, it spans much more time than we've uh, seen before. It deals with these characters who have been around for thousands of years. And it offers kind of a, a unique perspective on the, uh, you know, events that have happened in the MCU and kind of, I guess, how, in a way, insignificant they are compared to, you know, what these characters have been dealing with. But then also that the events um, of Avengers Endgame, you know, have uh, a part to play in exactly why the Eternals are, are suddenly called into action. Yeah, I was not super impressed by that first uh, teaser trailer, but I am much more uh, intrigued by what we see here, which I guess is a, a pretty typical pattern when it comes to teasers versus like full trailers. Um, but man, I was just, I was very impressed by the scope here and like the, you know, th- there's a lot of um, uh, like goofy looking CGI, but there's also a lot of really cool looking CGI, which is like, uh, you know, I-, I find myself sort of in this um, in this balance of like keeping some of the Marvel stuff a little bit at arm's length because it's so there's just, it's just so constant in the culture, um, but also being like legitimately and, and genuinely intrigued by uh, a-, a project like this that that like you mentioned seems to expand the scope. Um, a lot bigger than what we've seen before. There was, there's some stuff, you know, when it gets into the more uh, Jack Kirby-esque 
imagery with the celestials and all that stuff in this trailer where I'm like, oh, wow, like this is this is kind of the Marvel that I didn't know that I have been wanting this whole time. Do you know? Do you, did you have that feeling as well? Yeah, absolutely. There, you know, there's this um, scale to it where everything feels big and it has kind of a, a wild sci-fi edge to it. It's it's not quite um, in the same like Jack Kirby style that we saw brought to life in Thor Ragnarok. This has like a little bit more uh, elegance to it and otherworldly nature rather than being this kind of vibrant, odd uh, sci-fi world. It has... Um, almost a, a mystical quality to it in a way, like uh, kind of like a mix between um, the the way Dr. Strange uses his powers and then uh, forgive the comparison, but something like Green Lantern, you know, where that kind of style is applied to how the Eternals uh, use their, their powers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but, but besides that too, I feel like there's also um, a much more naturalistic approach to the way this movie was shot. And I think that's mostly because of Chloe Zhao bringing a much different um, cinematic eye to the table, you know, like uh, Kevin Feige, I know, you know, got blasted online a bit for talking about um, the visuals that she brought to the table and how they used a lot more practical environment shots rather than creating things with visual effects. And like a lot of people were, you know, uh, blasting. It's like, it's like, Oh wow. Kevin Feige realizes that nature exists. And it's like, (laughs) sure. That's like, it's easy to make fun of it, but like you see which, how she's shooting stuff here. And like, there's these incredible shots of, of landscapes and things like that that don't require visual effects. They, they look good in camera, and it brings this Marvel movie that has such an epic scale, it also brings it down to ground level, too. And, uh, you know, even some of the, like, the effects that seem otherworldly, they have this much more grounded texture to them, I think, because of how Chloe Zhao shot this movie. Yeah, I think that's true for all of the Earth stuff and then all the space stuff, or, or maybe not space, but like spaceship interiors. There's like these these shots where like the characters are um, are very small in the frame. And, and so like literally the, the settings that they're in are sort of like uh, almost engulfing these characters and like designs that we've never really seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before. And... Um, you know, there's these shots that you broke down in, in your trailer breakdown article. You have these these screenshots that are just like gorgeous. They look like almost pieces like a, of concept art or something. You know, with with characters standing in front of like these this giant crystal background, and then there's these triangles that look like this could be the interior of some sort of ship or something. And it's just like yeah, yeah and it's 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 also intricate too. There's all these like spirals, uh, you know, that are all around like the the floor and the doorways and just line the walls and everything. And yeah, that shot you talked about with the like this these, this crystal structure that looks like this um asymmetric like almost you know like a beehive essentially yeah. it's just filled with all these crystals it's it's a gorgeous shot and it just looks wild yeah it reminded me a little bit of um like the a fortress of solitude kind of thing it's like marvel's yeah. spin on that a little bit um so the the stuff that didn't really work as well for me was the look of the deviants which are the um i guess the ancient uh rivals of the eternals who are the, the heroes of this movie um the deviants kind of look like these um I don't know, like weird dinosaur creatures that have like, uh, it almost reminds me of something that you'd see in like Transformers Age of Extinction or something like that, you know, like a a Transformers movie where instead of um, like mechanized parts that shift around, it it sort of has that same, almost those same character designs, but with like a a more organic feel. Um, But there's just something about it that feels off and like overtly, 
fake in a way that nothing else in this trailer did. What, what did you make of the design of the deviants? Yeah, I can see uh, see the comparison. I wasn't super put off by it just because like the deviants are supposed to be this kind of like shape shifting form, and I they they've made them so that they look like they're made of like veins and muscles, like kind of in this like spindly sort of way. And so I, I feel like you know you they probably didn't want to lean too much into making them too much just like regular animals. They wanted to give them an alien quality. Um, but they still have to be, you know, these, these vicious creatures as well. And so, you know, I, I, am not necessarily sure what else you, you do, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to make creatures like that, you know, uh, obviously we've seen so many different kinds of aliens and creatures in various sci-fi movies over the decades. Um, and so I think they're always going to get compared to something, whether it's, you know, xenomorphs or predators or, um, you know, transformers, things like that. So, um, and part of me also wonders too, maybe it'll look a little bit better or um, slightly different once the visual effects are completely finished, you know, when yeah. the movie comes out. But uh, I wasn't too put off by it. Okay. All right. So I mentioned that trailer breakdown and uh, and you really did a, a deep dive into this thing. And I'm curious if there was anything that you think that um, our readers or listeners should know about that maybe they might have missed the first time around. Um, so the thing that I took away from the trailer is I feel like um, they're they're doing a good job at hiding some potentially spoilery details about uh, certain characters, and I th- I think there's a couple shots in this trailer, and I-, I will let you go read to see it if you want to, rather than mentioning it and out and outright revealing a potential spoiler. But I I think one of the characters among the Eternals uh, isn't to be trusted, um, and there's a very specific shot I think that uh, indicates something that goes amiss uh, involving one of the other characters that that character encounters. Yeah, and- I was I was kind of, I, mean, I know we're being like uh, purposefully vague here, but basically you theorize that one of the Eternals is going to kill the uh, another one and uh, without giving away who that is here. And again, you could just like read the article to find out. I was kind of shocked at that. And I'm, I'm kind of now hoping that happens because that seems like something that has not happened in another Marvel movie and would be like a, a genuinely shocking thing if it happened. Yeah, I I, th- I think that that would be a really cool thing to do here uh, with with a team like this. So there's one shot where these characters are like gathered around a, um, you know, like this red figure. It almost reminds me of uh, of the Power Rangers, like circling around <laughs> Zordon or something. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Are there any other like specific visuals that uh, that came to mind when you're sort of going through this frame by frame, where you're like, oh, I, I sort of see something here that maybe um, you know I, I wouldn't have seen in in 24 frames a second. Um, not, not in particular, other than the shot that I referenced that kind of that led me to, to, to that speculation, you know, between what happens with these characters, but like, um, I, this trailer d- does a surprisingly good job of playing things close to the vest without feeling like it's holding any major secrets. And I think part of that is just because I think that this movie is probably maybe a little bit more complex and, and epic, you know, than other Marvel movies are. And so they can only you know, explain so much with probably out be, with, without being super overwhelming to the audience, yeah. you know? So giving this, this vague idea of cosmic superheroes that have been around for thousands of years is probably the best way to approach it without getting specific and showing people how potentially weird this movie is going to be. Yeah. Um, but I also think that there's, you know, a lot of uh, humanity on display here, especially um, when you see like what, what looks like the Eternals experiencing a variety of hugely traumatic events throughout history that they can't do anything about because they've been told they can't interfere 
uh, with human activity unless it involves, you know, stopping the deviants. Oh, so, right. I guess we should have led with that. So the, you know, one of the big questions that everybody has had is like, why, if the Eternals have been here for thousands of years, why didn't they help when Thanos came and, and snapped half of the universe away kind of thing? Um, yeah. So yeah, I think you kind of just said it, but uh, do you want to like reiterate that for people who may have that question? Yeah, so basically the, the Eternals have been tasked by these uh, giant cosmic beings called Celestials, which we saw uh, teases of in Guardians of the Galaxy um, as being around when the Infinity Stones were, were formed and whatnot. And so these they've tasked the Eternals with defending um, planets with life on them uh, from deviants who are seeking to destroy life after it has spawned. And so that's actually why the deviants are coming back is because uh, once the Avengers undid what Thanos did with the snap of the of the gauntlet and brought everybody back that creation of life sparked the kind of energy that the deviants seek out in order to um, feast on planets that have thriving life on them and so the Eternals are tasked with keeping those kinds of uh, blossoming planets safe from deviants killing the living beings on them and so that's why they come to attack Earth again this will be the second time the Eternals have have to deal with uh, the deviants and so there's um we, we see that like in the meantime, as they've been waiting, uh, you know, there's uh, shots of what appears to be like the, the atomic um, nuclear bombing of, of Hiroshima um, and also like the, the fall of um, the Aztecs or Incans or Mayans. I'm not entirely sure which civilization, but it's definitely one of those civilizations where there's a war where like the pyramids and the land around them are, are burning and things like that. And you even see like a, a cool shot of um, Brian Tyree, Henry's character, uh, Phaistos, who is crying and he's being embraced by Selma Hayek's character, Ajax, Ajax. And it looks like that's likely among the devastation after, after what I think is probably the nuclear bombing. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think that they've probably been around all these things and the, there's so much weight on their shoulders from experiencing these tragedies and not being able to do anything about it because as they've been around this whole time, they've come to love humanity and appreciate, you know, them despite their, penchant for you know destroying themselves yeah i love that you're one of the things you theorize about in this piece is that you know maybe that um maybe the eternals end up sort of uh rejecting their their mandate from the celestials and and end up like going after the celestials because these celestials have, have placed these um you know the, these bumpers on them where they're not allowed to to really uh help humanity who they've grown to love so much and maybe that the eternals are like um like bitter about that or, or sort of uh, resentful about that and they end up sort of uh going i don't know like going to to take on the boss like take up their issues with their with their management kind of thing yeah um so yeah i'm trying to think if there's any other uh images or, or sort of moments that jumped out at me when i was watching this on first watch um I think one of the things that one of your your photos shows really well is that moment where uh, a bus is driving toward people and one of the characters like touches it or or um, you know shoots some sort of power force at it to turn it into uh, a series of red petals, which I thought was a, a kind of a cool moment. Um, the the screenshot that you've grabbed of that, uh, you can kind of see a lot of the um, the gold like intricate uh, circular designs and stuff like in the bus itself as it's disintegrating. And I didn't notice that on first watch. So I feel like that's uh, another reason to, to sort of go through this trailer breakdown. If you're listening to this right now and, and just check out some of the visuals on display here, because I think there's a lot of really, really cool stuff there. So, um, all right, Brad, any final thoughts on anything? I, I love what you said. Like, I, I love the, the idea about there being consequences for 
the Avengers saving uh, or sort of restoring um, half the universe. Like the, it's not just a clean break. It's a, it's a, uh, that act was something that has now drawn negative attention to them. And, and now like, that's a, a cool way to sort of keep the Marvel, the larger Marvel cinematic universe story going is like, it's not just a, uh, okay, closing the book on, on this chapter. It's like, Oh, that act actually sparked a whole new, uh, potentially, you know, series of problems. Yeah, we've a lot of people have been wondering, you know, like how the Eternals was going to tie into the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially, you know, considering how long they've been around and having this explanation as to, you know, why they didn't do anything when Thanos was around or why we haven't seen them, you know, interfere with uh, Avengers affairs and stuff like that. Uh, it's it's a very reasonable explanation. It, it, you know, it makes sense within the confines of the MCU. And uh, it's, it's kind of nice to see, you know, that there are, is like some carryover from what happened in Avengers Endgame because so far, like with Black Widow, and then uh, we haven't seen Shang-Chi yet, um, but there hasn't really been much of an indication in that movie of any like overt ties or consequences, or things carrying over from Endgame into Shang-Chi. So seeing that there will, there's still, you know, these connective tissues uh, and, and elements that will inform, you know, the story and uh, keep things uh, interconnected. It's, it's nice to have that, especially because The Eternals is, you know, one of those more obscure comics that people don't know a lot about. So I think that they probably need something to like latch on to to be like, OK, so wh- why should I care about this? Yeah, I think that's another reason why this trailer works so well for me is because the like you said, the, the characters themselves are sort of like unknowns, even to like the Guardians were, you know, like uh, even to, to comics fans. So it's not like there's people uh, sitting around and, and sort of popularizing theories of like, oh, well, this movie has to be adapting this comic arc where Tony Stark gets drunk or whatever. It's like a famous run of comics or whatever. And and so without that there, the movie just, I feel like, has the potential to feel a little bit more surprising than some of the other Marvel stuff has where there's been, where the influences have been um, more specific, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to, to add credence to that too, like even doing this trailer breakdown, normally, you know, uh, when I'm doing stuff like this for Marvel movies, there's a lot of frame of reference where the, that you can remember because there are so many iconic comic storylines and things like that. And since The Eternals is more obscure and hasn't been, you know, discussed as much in pop culture, it's it's hard to like latch on to any details being like, oh, this is probably this, you know, from, from this comic and knowing what it is that that's going on. And so I feel like because of that, they're probably able to take uh, a few more liberties with these characters and how they incorporate them into the MCU um, even more so than they have with, you know, the more well-known characters that we've seen so far. Definitely. All right, Brad, thanks very much. I appreciate it. You got it. And I am joined now by Slash Film Senior News Editor, Jacob Paul. Jacob, how's it going? Going all right. How are you? I'm doing very well. So you are another, uh, I'm a fan of the James Bond franchise, as are you. Uh, you have read several books, I think, about the, the behind the scenes goings on of this. And I know that you're a fan of this franchise. So I wanted to have you on to talk about some comments made recently by the sort of shepherds of the Bond franchise, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson. Uh, Barbara, of course, is the daughter of Cubby Broccoli, who's the producer who sort of started the whole Bond franchise. Michael G. Wilson is his, I think, stepson is the relation there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and they, okay, yeah. So they um, they have been overseeing the Bond franchise for many, many years. And uh, now that Amazon ha- is going to be buying MGM, there was all this talk about, oh, is a James Bond TV series going to happen? And in a recent interview with Total Film, Barbara Broccoli said, Quote, we make films, we make films for the cinema, that's what we do. Uh, and then Michael G. Wilson said, quote, we've resisted that call for 60 years, uh, referring to the 
um, the offer to, to sort of turn Bond into a TV franchise as well. So I just wanted to get your take on this. What do you think about the idea that um, even though Amazon has spent a considerable amount of money on MGM, I think billions of dollars, uh, that one of their biggest new assets is not seemingly not going to be um, sort of exploited in the TV realm? Before I give you my answer to that question, uh, do you know that Bond has been on TV before? Were you aware of this? Uh, James Bond Jr.? Is that what you're referring to? No, proper James Bond. The very first Bond adaptation was a 1950s live television adaptation of Casino Royale. Oh, the uh, <laughs> was it Jimmy Bond? Was he referred to as Jimmy Bond in that? Yeah, I think? I've never actually seen it. It's, I, think it's, I think it's lost to time, but it was very much one of those... You know, one of those very stage bound, you know, everybody's performing live, uh, you know, <laughs> camera doesn't really move much <laughs> TV, TV performance from the 50s, which aren't really a thing these days. So I just want to say, get off the bat, before anybody decides to nitpick us, we, we know Bond has been on TV before in a very limited capacity. Yes, uh, I totally forgot about that. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess there is a certain funny duddiness to these comments, and it has to do with the fact that uh, Broccoli and Wilson are older folks. They've been they're, they're film producers. They've, they've been doing this for a long time. This is their career. This is their livelihood. And either they're maybe not interested in the idea of Bond being a character that spans multiple mediums like that, or they don't understand it, or don't understand the appeal, or why people would want that. And, but I also don't think this is an old man yells at cloud type situation. I strongly believe that they understand that Bond is special. Uh, I mean, for example, I love Marvel stuff, but, you know, just, we get a couple Marvel movies a year, and now we're getting Marvel TV shows, you know, several of them a year on Disney+. Plus. It's just Marvel, Marvel, Marvel all the time. It's omnipresent. We're always talking about it. It's just constantly mm-hmm. there. Whereas Bond is not constantly there. Bond takes long breaks. He can be gone for five, seven years sometimes. Sometimes it's, you know, three years for movies. Sometimes it's half a decade. And... When Bond shows back up, man, it's an event. It's exciting. James Bond shows up and you say, oh, I need to set aside some time. I need to schedule around the release of the new Bond movie because I'm going out there to see it. (laughs) It's it's an event. Uh, There's a marketing push. There's new products. There's cars. There's celebrity red carpets. It It feels special in a way that a lot of modern media in the saturated landscape doesn't feel special. Uh, when Bond arrives, when Bond comes back after his long breaks between movies, where <laughs> Daniel Craig can recover, or when they announce a new James Bond, the thunderous media moments that you get from those are unmatched. And they used to be a lot more common. These happen a lot with you know major releases of movies. But as things become more you know become in our streaming heavy world, that that's become more rare because there's always just stuff to put on. There's always content. There's always just things happening. A new Marvel TV series arriving is just, oh yeah, more Marvel. It's not, oh wow, hooray, an event. Whereas right. James Bond is still an event. I think that Broccoli and Wilson get that. And I think they're worried about their lives, their life's work, literally their, their life's work being cheapened and deflated because people want more of a good thing instead of realizing that sometimes good things should spike every half decade or so. Okay, so I, you make a lot of great points there, and I I agree with several of them. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering, because this is Daniel Craig's last hurrah, and now we're at a point where uh, the Bond franchise is at a crossroads. There's, there's um, a decision to be made about what direction the franchise goes after No Time to Die finally <laughs> comes out at some point. Who knows if it's going to get delayed again. But once that is over and done with, I feel like they're staring at a blank page. And I'm just, you know, movies, you mentioned all the, how, you know, this was a, a, was and continues to be a special thing, but movies are no longer, I would argue, the dominant um, 
force in pop culture that they once were. I feel like it's, you know, television is, has subsumed movies when it comes to that, right? Like you would, you would probably agree with that, right? Yeah, I agree. So with that being the case, I wonder if there's a way to try to keep this, the specialness by, you know, spreading out those movies once every five years or whatever it is, but then maybe like in between having a bond series that doesn't feel like the moral stuff, which I agree can, can feel a little um, almost oppressive and how much of it there is. But maybe if there's like a, maybe if the bond series was like Sherlock or something where, you know, you have the same, um, the same actor who almost like uh, you remember when the, the, um, I forget what company it was. Maybe Sony was trying to do that thing with the dark tower where like they make several dark tower movies and there was going to be a dark tower TV show in between that told like a different story that that was, you know, you didn't have to watch that show, but you could maybe it told a different corner of the the story, but like all of the same people were going to be involved. So maybe bond could be something like that, where there's maybe like a three episode stint, like a Sherlock season, you know, with 90 minute episodes or something like that, um, in between these big tentpole movies that come along every few years to kind of keep it not like once a year, there's bond stuff where that whole marketing machine you're talking about revs back up, but like enough to keep it in the public eye in a way that it hasn't been. And in this sort of new world order where television and streaming are like the dominant forces. What do you, what do you make of that? Uh, I'm not opposed to it. I guess my my rewrite of your proposal here, Ben, is that Bond himself goes away uh, between movies. I don't want I don't want to see Dave, I don't want to see Bond whatever actors playing him on the small screen uh, for, for for new stuff like that. However, if you were saying between Bond movies, we get Ray Fiennes as M trying to uncover a mole across MI6 for three episodes, mm. or uh, or Felix Slater, you know, played by Jeffrey Wright. Going on some kind of you know globe trotting expedition where he this where this very unlikely spy has to solve a, a case over six episodes. That's what I'd be down for. I'm I'm okay with the other Bond characters. You know the new Eve Moneypenny, uh, played by uh, Naomi Harris. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, like she, like why not give her her own little spinoff series where where she gets sent you know to Monaco to pick up a suitcase um uh, as what should be a quiet mission. Turn and things go crazy. You know that's yeah. what I'd be down for. Like let the if, they, if you're going to do this like make use of Bond's extended rogue galleries and allies, which is increasingly deep. I mean, there's so many characters you can draw from, especially if you, if you manage to go back to the older films and like maybe resurrect some older allies you haven't seen in decades. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's the way to go. If Amazon needs a Bond universe. That's your Bond universe. The Bond universe is full of interesting characters who are, who are so much fun. Build around them. Let Bond be the event. Don't turn Bond into a TV character, please. See, Jacob, this is why you get paid the big bucks. I love this. I love this so much because I, I agree that I, I kind of like want to live in that world. But yeah, by by just removing the but the character of James Bond from the TV stuff, you solve that problem and get to have your cake and eat it too. I love it. I, I really I'm like I'm I'm excited about this idea in a way that I would be if it as if it was just an officially announced, even though it is very far from that. But I really hope that um, that that's the direction they end up going because I, I love that concept. And I think, especially if you bring back all those actors from the movies, like you said, that bench is so deep and there's so many op- like interesting opportunities to tell stories there. So, uh, and I'm make, sure, a show, I'm, make a show called Spectre. I want to see how you run an evil organization. I want to see Blowfield. What kind of workplace does Blowfield run? And I want to see his employees <laughs> on his volcano lair or however they want to modernize that. It's going about like going about 
running that office. That's the series I want, honestly. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, I think we've cracked it, Jacob. I think we've done it. Uh, and I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Peter's going to be on vacation for quite some time, a little over a week, I think. So um, I'm not sure if he's going to forward me those or uh, or what. But yeah, if you guys want to hit me up on Twitter, you can find me at Ben Pears. If you have any direct questions that you'd like answered before that, uh, make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.